5 through 11 is going to be my text this morning. Have you ever been around somebody that just, they just thought they were a little bit better than everybody else? Don't point, nobody pointing. Maybe you've been around someone who just thought they were a little bit more important than everybody else. I remember a few years ago, I moved to Canton, Ohio from Florida, and uh, people were always asking me, where are you from? I'm from Florida. Why are you here? Everybody from us is going down there. Why are you coming up here? But I love Ohio. It's awesome, and I love being here. And But that was one of the first places, and it was probably just my experience. I'm not saying that Florida isn't this way in some places, but I remember when we were first shopping for a home, when we got there and we were looking for somewhere to, to, to live, um, we, uh, I remember that with certain people where I told them that I lived really mattered to them. I would, uh, I, we moved to town and we eventually bought a home. And when we did, people would ask us, well, where did you buy? And I would tell them the township that we bought them. And they were kind of like, oh, you know, which is not the response you want, you know, when you buy a home. Oh, and we didn't live in a bad neighborhood. We lived in a great neighborhood, great people. But for, for them, it was like where you came from and what neighborhood you were in really, really mattered. And so, therefore, if you were in one township over another, you were less of a person than somebody else. And that was kind of what it felt like, and it was just kind of weird. But that happens all the time in our world uh, with all kinds of things going from what you wear to where you, you know, what you drive, how you look. Where you're from can bring a sense of pride and arrogance, or it can bring a sense of like humility, like, oh man, I don't want to tell people where I'm from. I was talking to a friend recently um, about my family. In fact, it was last night, I was talking about where I kind of grew up and where I'm from. Um, I was talking to my dad recently, and he, was, he, was, he had been talking to my uncles about our great, my great grandfather, you know, my grandfather's dad who I didn't really know much about, and apparently they didn't either. And they said, well, how did he die? And they were talking about, did he die from natural causes? And one of them said, well, I think he died by being in a train accident. And so there's a guy in our church who really looks into stuff like that. So I told him about it, and he looked it up. And he sent me documentation that my great-grandfather, Lewis Jennings, actually died from being hit by a train. Kind of crazy. And that he, this is a very Christmassy message. Aren't you glad for this? You guys were all like, this is awful. Why are you telling us this? And then they had like documentation of who he was. And, and he, he, on his uh, DSS form, which is, I think is his so, uh, selective service registration card from 1930, I believe it was. He, he, it says that he worked in Anniston, Alabama at the Rudsill Foundry. And that he signed his name. And I, I'm not going to put up on the screen, but somebody signed for him. He put his mark and it says next to it, his mark. He didn't even really have, and he was an uneducated person working at the foundry. That's where my family's from. That's who's in my past. He did have some kind of association with the church, which I'm grateful for. And I don't know if he was saved or not, but that's, that's our, that's my family. I come from a humble line of people from the deep South in Alabama. That's where I come from. It may explain my diet. And my dad and my son's love of all things, monster truck, NASCAR, and the like. But 
we Jennings have humble beginnings. We're doing about the best financially, relationally, and spiritually as any of our previous recent um, relations. And I'm glad for that. I'm really glad for that. The, the same may or may not be true for you. I don't know if it's, it is that way for your family as your family history is really honorable or maybe there's some scoundrels in your family history or maybe you're the scoundrel. If you don't know you, it's probably you. You're probably the scoundrel in your family history. But uh, whatever it is, um, humble beginnings are something, right? And at Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus coming. And I can tell you this, no one had the background that Jesus had when he came. He came from a really nice place. Uh, he came from heaven. And, and in heaven, it's as good as it can get. In eternity with God, no one is trying to figure out who Jesus is. Everybody knows who Jesus is. And he comes from a good neighborhood. Like he's, he's, he's doing pretty well. But when he came, he came in a particular way. He didn't come to the nice neighborhood here. <laughs> the nicest neighborhood here would be way worse than what he came from. He didn't come like that. He came in a very humble way. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus came. And as a result of how he came, we can know how we ought to respond at Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Did you know that? December 24th, we are in church You've been to Christmas Eve services before. You've been to church before. Many of you, maybe some of you haven't been uh, in a while. But the point is you've heard a message like this before. But he, here's, here's what I want to ask you to do today. I want to ask you to actually think about the truths of what I'm saying. And I'm asking you to not just let this be another service. I'm asking you to respond at Christmas to respond. Jesus did something. God gave us something and we have the ability to respond. We have not just the ability, we have the response ability to respond. How are you going to do it? How should you and I respond at Christmas? We're going to respond in three ways. And we're going to get these responses from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 which we've already read today. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And you may not think of the book of Philippians, the, the epistle to the Philippians, as a very Christmassy letter. But I think that, who, who agrees that joy is a theme at Christmas? Who agrees? Joy is a good theme at Christmas. And, and you, know what the book of, you know what the book of Philippians is all about? Joy. If you want to be encouraged, go read the book of Philippians. It's all about joy. Joy is a settled contentment despite our circumstances. And that's what this is all about. And in Philippians chapter two, Paul writes his hearers and he tells them in this letter that he's writing called the Philippian, letter to the Philippians, he's writing about joy and he tells them one of the secrets to joy is to put on the attitude of Christ. And so my first point today is this. Number one, we should celebrate how, uh, why Jesus came. And actually, I want you to do something for me because I messed up. I want you to take why and scratch that out and put how. I messed up. Anybody ever mess up? The difference between the point I'm going to make that you need to hear is not why, it's how. 
celebrate, we should celebrate how Jesus came and we should obey that same idea. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter two, verse five. It says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse five is the beginning of a command that Paul's giving to the Philippians about how they ought to act and think. Mind here speaks about mindset. It speaks about frame of mind or a way of thinking. It's an attitude of the inner person that comes out. The point of the passage is for us to be like Jesus. So if I'm going to say in a very general way, how do I want you to be res- to respond to Jesus at Christmas is to let God make you become like Jesus. Okay? That's why that's what God wants to do in your life. You're like a Jewish carpenter from 2000 years ago? No, like y- yes. <laughs> he wants to make you into the best you you can be into the kind of person you ought to be. He wants to grow you and to shape you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he says to do that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This way of thinking needs to be your way of thinking. Well, what was it? What was this mind you're talking about? Look at verse six. Who, being in the form of God, let me ask you a question. Are you God? Anybody here God? Okay, we got that much settled. There's a God, you're not him. Was Jesus God? Is Jesus God? He is. He is. So even though he is God, he still had this frame of mind. What was it? He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is a son from eternity past. Jesus Christ has always been the son. Jesus Christ is as much God as the Father is. Jesus, is, is. Jesus Christ is as much God as the Holy Spirit is. His mindset that is about to be described is not an admission that he's not God or stop being God. He did not think he was being robbed by leaving heaven and coming down. He didn't see it as himself, as, as himself being taken advantage of or being hurt in that sense. What did he do? Verse 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. What does it mean that he made himself of no reputation? Do you see that in the scripture there? He made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? In heaven, everyone knows Christ. In heaven, no one rejects Christ. In heaven, God's will is done and Christ's will is done and the Holy Spirit's will is done. All of their will flows from one God and they're the same. But when Jesus came to, when Jesus came to the earth, who knew? Joseph and Mary knew. The wise men knew. The shepherds knew. What, what it, but who else knew? Not many people. Not everybody accepted him as Christ and Lord. What does it mean that he took on the form of a servant? To, to, be human, to be human is to be obligated to be the servant of God. We were made to serve and to worship God. Jesus, the creator, then took on the form, the form of humanity, those created to serve and created to worship. When Jesus was born, what happened was not subtraction or division, but addition. 
He took on human nature, which he had never before possessed. He added humanity to his deity. And from that moment, he was born. He was both God and man, two natures in one person. If Jesus Christ was not God, Christmas may as well be a fable. But if Jesus Christ was not God, he is no more. And if Jesus Christ was not God, he's no more useful than Santa Claus. Jesus is not just a man among men. He's not just a first among evil equals. He's not even the greatest of the great. Jesus Christ is God. Here's another amazing truth about Jesus. Jesus became not just a man, but the lowest of men. That was what puzzled so many who met him, even his own disciples. Most Jews expected the Messiah to come as a conquering, reigning deliverer. Had they even thought he might come as a man, they would have expected him to be born into a prominent family, to get the finest education, to be surrounded with servants who would do his bidding and would be protected from all danger and certainly from any kind of criticism. Instead, though, what does it say? He took on the form of a servant. The word for servant is the word doulos. And I think it really is best translated as slave. Bond slave. A slave owned nothing. When Jesus came into this world, he borrowed everything. He borrowed a place to be born. He borrowed a place to sleep. He borrowed a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. He borrowed a donkey to ride into town. He borrowed a room to have the Lord's Supper. He even borrowed a tomb to be buried in because he didn't need it long. He was born in the likeness of men. The word likeness means to be exactly like what it appears to be. Jesus was not a clone. He was not, just, he was not God's, God disguised as a man. He was not just a facsimile of a man. He was a real flesh and blood man. What's so unique to the Christian faith is not that Jesus was God, but that Jesus In Jesus, God became a human being. If Jesus had come purely as God and only as God, that's exactly what we would have expected of God. That God would become not just a man, but the lowest of men is seen by every other religion as just not God-like. No other faith besides Christianity has ever considered becoming human essential to its faith in God. But that is exactly why we celebrate Christmas. That is the miracle of Christmas and the message of Christianity, that God became one of us. That is why the first response of everyone who believes in Christ of Christmas is to celebrate how he came. He came humbly. He came to become one of us. That leads to a second response. We should celebrate how he came. Are you glad Jesus became man? We should also imitate what he did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, here it is, he humbled himself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he deserved, do you deserve? I deserve hell. He deserves glory and honor and worship and recognition. I deserve hell. And yet his mind was to humble himself. 
Not, so what should we do? Not be humble. How do you be humble? You humble yourself. You are no big deal. And yet, God loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die for you. Jesus humbled himself. He went from sitting on a throne to lying in a manger to hanging on a tree. He went from being a king with a crown to a baby in diapers to a criminal on the cross. Why? Because he decided to give his blood for you. Your eternal life was so important that he gave his earthly life. A place in heaven for you was more important to him at that moment than his place in heaven. He gave up his place so that we could have a place there. That's where we learn what real humility is. We really learn about what it means to humble yourself. It means obeying God. Jesus didn't die out of obligation. He died out of obedience. He became obedient unto death is what it says. Do you see that? What, what, what did Jesus say in the garden? If it be possible, let this cup be passed from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Paul points out that Jesus didn't just die. It wasn't even death on the cross. He, he didn't die a peaceful death on a soft bed surrounded by friends and family. He died the death of a common, everyday criminal. Crucifixion is still to this day so cruel, excruciating pain and shameful form of, of, of execution ever conceived by humanity. It was such a low form of death that was reserved for slaves and for the lowest form of criminals. No Roman citizen could be crucified no matter how bad a crime he or she could, had committed. It was that kind of death that Jesus died for us. He ended, up, he ended his life serving us and obeying his father. That's what it means to humble yourself. Humbling ourselves. Yourself is obeying God and serving others. Jesus begins eternity at the top of the organizational chart of the universe. He was God. But he gave up his right just to be God and become a human being. He didn't just become a human being. He became a servant. He didn't just become a servant. He became a savior dying on the cross. He didn't spend his life climbing ladders. He spent his life coming down ladders. His entire time on earth, he never one time played the God card. What do I mean? He never pulled rank. He never asked to be first in line. He never demanded his rights. Every time he exercised his power and his authority, he always leveraged it for two things, the good of others and the glory of God. He spent his life obeying God and serving others. I'm not saying he didn't claim to be God. He did. I'm not saying he didn't accept worship. He did. The key to this entire passage is the key to understanding Christmas. This is not just what Jesus did for us. This is what we are to do for him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient. How obedient? Even the death on a cross. Jesus spent his entire life obeying God and serving others. We're not God, but we can be gracious. We're not heavenly, but we can be humble. We're not sovereign, but we can be a servant. So we need to celebrate how Jesus came. We need to celebrate, imitate what Jesus did. Lastly, this morning, number three, we should elevate who Jesus is. 
He's ready for the fun part. Verse nine, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, eternally God, leaves heaven, comes to earth, takes on the form of a man, becomes a servant, dies on a cross, and is buried and is raised from the dead. Why did he do that? The answer is clear. He did it so that we might be saved from our sins and receive eternal life. That's the right answer. Who agrees that's the right answer? But that's only a partial answer. Let me tell you the ultimate reason why Jesus did that. Romans Chapter 14, 9 says this, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. It's okay to celebrate that baby in a manger, and we should be so grateful for that Savior who died on the cross. But if you're really going to understand and believe in Christmas, you can't just leave him on a cross. You can't just leave him in a manger. You can't just leave him on a cross. You got to put him on a throne. Which is why Paul climaxes all that he says about Jesus with these words. Wherefore, that's an important word. It's saying that obeying God and serving others, God exalts him to the high, highest place. God also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. We think about that exaltation and humiliation are polar opposites. They never ever go together. But with God, humiliation leads to exaltation. When you suffer humiliation for God, ultimately you will experience exaltation by God when you do it for the right reason. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves. Do you get the theme of the message? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. Humble yourself. Help me to humble myself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. What do you mean? Man, I can fake humbleness. I can fake humility. Some of you are going at the end of the line, not because you're trying to put everybody first, but because you're trying to clean up. You're like, what are you talking about? I mean, like you want all the food at the end. I thought that would be funnier. Some of you are putting other people first so you can get that recognition. Look how humble he is. Yeah, you're right, I'm pretty humble. I'm really humble. Most humble person I know, right? He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You know who knows our hearts? The Lord does. He knows why we're putting others first if we are. Humble yourself, not in the sight of men. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall Lift you up. God has given Jesus the name, which is above every name. It is not the name Jesus that's above every name. That name, Jesus, was a very common name back in that day. No, the name of Jesus has been 
that Jesus has been given as Lord. That is the name of God. God. God says this in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. I'm not saying the name of Jesus isn't, isn't important. What I'm saying is the name he's given is Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the only one that gets to be called Christ and Lord. That's my point. Revelation 19, 16. When Jesus returns, they'll be very clear who he is. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. We sang it today. Some of you stood King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus is the name of his humiliation. Lord is the name of his exaltation. In humiliation, Jesus is our Redeemer. But in exaltation, he is our Lord. The Greek word for Lord refers to a ruler. It refers to one who is the master and owner of everything. Jesus was born as a man so that he can relate to us. He died as a savior so he could redeem us. He was raised as the Lord to rule over us because he is Lord. And I want you to know this. Everyone will respond to him as Lord. Everyone will respond to him as Lord. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue will confess. To bow the knee is a sign of surrender. It's what you do when you intend to honor someone, to exalt someone, to elevate someone, or to lift someone up. Paul doesn't mince words. Every knee is going to bow, whether by choice or by force. Every knee above us in heaven, whether it be angels or human, every knee around us, whether it be believer or unbeliever, and every knee under us, the devil and every demon, is going to bow and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it won't be done silently. Look at what he says in verse 11. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every pagan tongue Every atheist tongue, every agnostic tongue, every angelic tongue, every demonic tongue, and every human tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why? It's going to be done to the glory of God the Father. The best and the greatest way that ultimately... for you to honor the Lord and respond at Christmas. The purpose of this universe and the purpose of all of history, the purpose of all of your life and my life is to bring glory to God the Father. And the best way you can do this is to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and surrender all that you are to all that he is. And don't wait to do it by force. Let's do it now. He's Lord now. Confess him now. If you confess him, then it'll be too late. Not for the Lord, but for you. Why do we kneel when we pray? You can pray standing up. That's fine. As long as your heart's bowed. But man, sometimes, if you never bow, when's the last time you're on your knees before God? You can be on your knees physically and not be bowed 
inwardly. I'm not saying that that's not possible. When was the last time you were on your knees before God? Not just in your heart, but in your body. This is what Christmas really comes down to. You can avoid God all of your life, but you cannot avoid God forever. Jesus Christ is Lord, and one day you will bow your knee and you will confess that he is the rightful ruler of the entire universe. This is reflected in some of our music at Christmas. I love Christmas, and I love music. There's one part of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You guys heard that song? It kind of sums up this message. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to a newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Maybe he's texting you right now. (laughs) Everybody look up here. You only have one mission in your life. You've only got one thing to figure out before you die, and it's this. Who is really in charge? Who's really in charge of your life? Who's really in charge of this world? Who's really in charge of the universe? Let me assure you, it's not Washington. It's not Hollywood. It's not Wall Street. It's not you. And it's not me. It's Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's what really Christmas is all about. How do you need to respond to God at Christmas? God loves you. God loves you. Remember what we talked about last week? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ, who was born of a virgin without a sin nature, lived a perfect life, never sinned, died on the cross so that he could take God's wrath for our sin, so that then we could get his righteousness. We don't deserve it. And he can take our, our penalty God's wrath. And what do I have to do to what do I have to do 
To receive such a gift, I have to acknowledge him as who he is, Lord and Savior, Lord and Christ. That's what I must do. That's what you must do. Don't wait to do it then. Do it now. When you think that, when we think the way Jesus thinks, we will live our life the way he lived it. We have ele- How have you elevated Jesus in your life? It's not okay with God to acknowledge the cradle of Jesus and ignore the cross of Jesus. You will bow the knee and confess the mouth with Jesus as Lord, that he died for your sins and deserves your love and worship. Do it now. Do it willingly. And he will forgive you and give you a home in heaven. Do it after that you die. You'll still do it. But you'll be forever in hell because you chose you way, your way instead of his. At the, end of, at the end, it's going to be people who said, thy will be done, or God who says to those people, your will be done. And a devil's hell. So how will you respond to Christmas this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?